Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, September 29th, 2023. And let's go right to the budget. And it's late Friday afternoon. It appears that we're going to have a shutdown. And I'll go into what the shutdown means. And in spite of what you see on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on. But I'll get into that later. So let me just give you a quick synopsis on what the normal recommended procedure is for adopting a budget every year on the federal level and how Congress has been negligent over the years when dealing with a $7 trillion budget. Now, between discretionary and non-discretionary spending, the budget, the federal budget every year is $7 trillion. And Congress has not been following a responsible path in putting these budgets together over the years. And this is why we've got $34 trillion in debt, at least partially. It's because Congress has been negligent in putting these budgets together. Now, there are 12 resolutions, 12 bills that comprise the federal budget, like defense, Department of State, those are two of the bills that you need. And there's 10 other ones that you need to put the budget together. But over the years, Congress has been relying on these temporary budgets called continuing resolutions to get us through the years. And these temporary budgets are nothing more than budgets created by party insiders, leadership in the House and in the Senate. that don't reflect the scrutiny of members of the House and members of the Senate. So what the, uh, leadership has been doing over the years, they put again uh, these temporary budgets that don't reflect the scrutiny of House members, and then they put a gun to the House members' head and say, look, you've got to vote for this temporary budget, or the budget's going to shut down, or, or, the, uh, or the government's going to shut down. And then they do another one, and then, then they do another one. And because of the lack of scrutiny by members of Congress over these temporary budgets, we get bloated budgets. And then after you do it for a six-month period, you take a look back and, what the heck did I just spend? What the heck did I just vote on? That's not a way to run a budget. Now, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to have these 12 bills go through committee and then be debated on the House floor. And likewise in the Senate. But that hasn't been happening. We've been relying on these bloated budgets put together by party insiders and then forced through the system because they put a gun to the head of the members saying that we'll shut down the government if you don't vote for this. And these new Republicans came in and said, look, we want to get back to normal practice, good practice when putting budgets together. We want them to go to committee, come out of committee, and then be debated on the House floor. And when Kevin McCarthy became Speaker of the House, one of the conditions that he agreed to was that we would go back to good, sound practice. But he didn't do that. He knew that the budget was expiring 
on September 30th, and he sat on it. And then he comes out with a continuing resolution. And then he tries to put the gun to the ha- uh, members of the House, say, you got to vote for this or we're going to shut down the government. And then initially they come out and they say, oh, well, it's the, the continuing resolution is 8% less. Well, 8% less of what? Another bloated budget? And then who's to say that the next continuing resolution that they'll put through is going to be 16% higher, 20% higher? So it's just a game. And it's an irresponsible game that McCarthy promised he would not follow. And that's why that's one of the reasons he's getting pushbacks by the conservative members of Congress. And then he has to hurt nerve to say that these members of com- Congress that are pushing back on him are nihilist. Well, he's the nihilist. He's the one that's pushing a prog- uh, a process that is creating massive debt for this country, massive debt for you, putting the economy and this country in harm's way. And it's these conservative members of Congress that want to do the right thing when it comes to budgeting. A good, sound conservative wants good fiscal policy. And the cornerstone of good fiscal policy is you debate the 12 bills of your budget. So with his back against the wall, the House passed uh, three of the 12 budget bills. And that included the Department of State, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Defense. So that's three down, nine to go. So with that said, I want to go to a clip, and it's with McCarthy, and he's got a lot of nerve saying what he says in this clip. So let's go to this clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. Last night, the House did something none of you sitting here thought we can do. We passed three appropriation bills, defense, state, and foreign ops, and homeland security. There's 12 overall to get done. It's the discretionary spending every year that government is supposed to do. We have now in the House passed more than 70% of the discretionary spending on appropriations. And what is he taking credit for? Something that he should have done months ago. And the only reason that these three bills were passed is because the conservatives pushed back hard on him. And again, he's got a lot of nerve for taking credit of this. We should have been well into this, but he's taking credit for, for passing these three bills. Well, you got nine to go. And it's your lack of showing no respect to the conservatives in the House that we got here. So after these uh, three bills were passed last night, I guess about two, three hours ago, he tried to pass a continuing resolution and that was shot down so he's got until tomorrow evening at eleven fifty-nine to get something done if he can now quite personally I, I wouldn't vote for any continuing resolution until all 12 budget bills are adopted and think about this this really is rushed a rush job also we're waiting to the last moment to 
have hearings on each of these budget bills? It's still a rush job. This is, should have been started months ago, and we should have started hearings on each of these budget bills months ago. So it looks like we're going to have a shutdown. Even if in the event that the House passes a temporary budget, still has to go to the Senate. Senate has to debate it, and they go into conference together to try to rehash their differences. And then from there, it has to go to the president to sign. I'd be very surprised if they can get anything like that done by October 1st. So let's talk about the fear-mongering that you hear from CNN, Fox, and MSNBC. I'm hearing these reports that people won't get their Social Security checked, which is not true. You have to understand these workers are still going to work. Some of them will be furloughed, but these employees, these federal employees, still have to work. Now, most of them won't get paid. They'll have to get paid down the road when the budget is passed. But look, sorry. It's not a perfect world. And I'm willing to have you take a little pain in order to save the country from demise. And I'm talking to the federal employee. And also these federal employees that are furloughed, they can collect unemployment insurance. So it's not like they're becoming destitute. So you hear stories about you're not going to get Social Security checks. Not true. Planes are going to start crashing because they don't have enough air traffic controllers. Not true. Flights are going to be delayed. Not true. They're all working. Now, what you may see is some parks closed down. Well, big deal. I can deal with it for a month or two until they get this thing resolved. Because if we don't stop this here, this federal debt is going to grow to $50, million, $50 trillion by 2030. And it's got to stop. So if the federal employee has to have a little pain, they can deal with it. Because what at stake, what is at stake here is the financial future of this country. So we'll see. I'll keep you updated. If anything happens before the end of this podcast, I'll fill you in on it. My recommendation to the conservatives, hold tight. If it was me, I would wait until the 12 bills were passed individually. So we shall see. Okay, I want to talk about immigration a bit. And I want to go to an article taken from NBC. But before we go to the article, I just want to frame, put this in context. Since the Biden administration took over, we've got between 7 million and 11 million illegal immigrants crossing the border illegally. Since Biden took office, we've got nearly 11 million illegals in this country. And it's only over the past month or so that the mainstream media, the corrupt media, has to address it. And the only reason they are addressing it is because it's hitting home in their backyard. Recently, the mayor of New York came out and said, look, we can't do this. This policy is insane. And ever since that point, you've had the media focusing on it. Because to them, let the rest of the country get ruined by illegal immigration. 
as long as it doesn't touch upon us, and it now is, and that's why they're addressing it. Now, I've got nothing against legal immigration, but this country just cannot handle 11 million illegals over a two- or three-year period. It puts financial stress on the country. It puts financial stress on these localities that have to take them in. We've already got a $33, $34 trillion deficit, and it puts pressure on that deficit, puts pressure on wages on the American worker and those immigrants that have come here legally because it dilutes the labor pool. We've got some towns in Texas where there are more illegal immigrants than there are residents. Not only that, we've got human trafficking going on. We've got children being smuggled into this country. We've got women taken, being taken into this country to essentially become slaves. And we have a public safety issue. These people haven't been vetted. How many criminals have come across the border? You hear these horrific stories about these illegal immigrants committing crime, murder. Well, how are people supposed to be safe when they're not vetted? We've got terrorists sneaking into this country because of our open border policy. And it just can't continue. But this is all being done by design by the Biden administration and the communists that are in Congress, in the White House, that want to undermine this country. And again, there's nothing wrong with immigration as long as it's legal. All right, let's go to this article. And it's from September 18th, a few weeks ago. And the headline says, illegal border crossings are on the rise. 7,500 migrants were stopped on Sunday alone. The number of migrants illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border has risen steadily since the start of September, according to the Department of Homeland Security. With Border Patrol apprehending more than 7,500 migrants on Sunday alone. In July, the latest month for which official data is available, the number of daily apprehensions of illegal border crossers averaged over 4,300. The rise in migrants may indicate that new policies put in place by the Biden administration in May, I'll get into that later, which initially kept numbers low, may now be having less of an impact. And in mainstream media speak, that means it's a failure. Certain sectors of the border have been affected more than others. On Sunday, the busiest sector was the Rio Grande Valley, Texas location, with more than 1,800 apprehensions, followed by Del Rio, Texas, with more than 1,600 apprehensions. Tucson, Arizona, with more than 1,500. El Paso, more than 1,000, according to data obtained by NBC. Fox News reported 2,200 migrants crossed the border in in the Del Rio border patrol sector into Eagle Pass, Texas, between midnight and 10 a.m. Monday. In 10 hours, border patrol agents in Rio Grande Valley saw on average 150 unaccompanied children each day last week. That's one location. Think about that. An average of 150 children found unaccompanied a day. And this is part of the human trafficking network. Where right now, the United States is ground zero for that. 
And with that said, I want to go to a clip. And it's with Jake Tapper and Anaya Presley, a rep from Massachusetts. She's part of the AOC communist group of representatives in the House. And she's telling Jake Tapper that the border is secure. And even Jake Tapper is saying, you can't mean that. You don't, you don't really mean that, do you? So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying except for the idea that the border is secure. I mean, if you have people crossing the border, it's just by definition not secure. If you have people coming to the United States, in fact, I mean, one of the arguments being made, and I think it's an argument worth considering, is that because our border is so porous, millions of people make this very unsafe journey. Millions of people give money to people who prey on them, coyotes, and take them on these journeys to cross into the United States, preying on them, vulnerable people. And that's because the border is not secure. Because it is not secure, they go on this journey. And one of the arguments that is made, and maybe you disagree with it, is that the border should be secure so as to discourage people from making this journey. Um, so that if people want to try to come to the United States and declare asylum and seek asylum, they go through the proper corridors uh, and not just try to cross illegally. I, but it just seems like just such a, a refusal to acknowledge reality just to say that the border is secure when we all know millions of people are crossing the border illegally every year. And throughout the interview, Tapper kept on asking her, is the border secure? And Presley would say, oh, yes, it is. And then she'd go on to some diatribe about, oh, this is a humanitarian problem. But Tapper kept on saying, yeah, but is the border secure? And she kept on saying, yes. And like Mayorkas, like Biden, the border's secure. Double speak. They say it's secure when it's not. Because it's all about undermining America. These people hate this country. Including Biden. Now, several months ago, the Biden administration tried to legitimize these illegals coming into the country by giving them an app. All you have to do is fill out this app. Fill it out and then just come through normal ports of entry in the United States. And... We'll try to legitimize you. We'll get you a court date. But just fill out this app and come through the ports of entry. And at this point, the migrants are just coming through the border. They said, how are you? They're you know, We know it's easier. it's easier just to walk through the border than it is to fill out your app and come through the ports of entry. So they're just coming through the Mexican border. They're just giving the bums rush to the United States. Last five days, it's been reported that 10,000 people per day, per day, have passed through the Mexican border. And I'm not talking about the ports of entry. I'm talking about them going through the Mexican desert and into Texas, most of them. But it's all about undermining this country. And they've been exposed. They tried to give it an air of legitimacy by, with, with these apps. But these migrants just said, oh, the heck with you. We're just going to go right through the border. No respect for our laws, no respect for our borders, no respect for the White House. 
And then add in to add insult to injury, the Biden administration wants to give work papers, legitimate work papers to these illegal aliens. They're just diluting the labor pool. And all these poor immigrants that have done it the right way, that have come through this country legally, that are working their way up through the economic ladder of the United States, they're the ones that are being undermined because now their value is diminished because they're now in competition with these illegal immigrants. So instead of getting paid $10 an hour, $15 an hour, whatever, they're now being paid less because the illegal will do it for less. New York Times also reported months ago about all these children that were found working in these textile mills in various places in the United States. You don't think that has anything to do with the illegal migrants coming into this country? The children that they're finding at the border? Those children are winding up in these textile mills. They're, they're winding up as sex slaves to pedophiles. That's what's happening here. And it's all being done because the Democratic Party, these communists in Washington, as well as the Chamber of Commerce and these other organizations want this. And I really want to say we shall see, but this is terrible. This is terrible what they're doing to this country. I want to talk about this absolutely bizarre decision by a New York judge where he determined that Donald Trump and the Trump organization lied on their application for a loan by overestimating the value of his real estate. And as a result of this, he wants to take Donald Trump's business license in New York, have someone oversee the operations of the Trump organization, and fine him a massive amount of money. And this is a real head-scratcher. This is a civil case where no damage was done. And what I find really bizarre is that the judge actually went in and looked at the properties and determined what the value of these properties should be. And as I've always said, most attorneys are terrible at numbers. They're terrible with business. Most. And when you merge that with a, a judge that has an ideological persuasion against Trump, it's a disaster. So he goes in, he starts determining what Donald Trump's property should be assessed at or, or should be priced at. And here's a good example. Some of you may have already heard it. He determined that Mar-a-Lago should be valued at I said somewhere between 18 and $24 million. Whereas the market value of Mar-a-Lago is closer to $1 billion. Just absolutely bizarre. And what's either more bizarre is that no one was harmed. It wasn't that Trump defaulted on a loan and didn't pay them back and they turned around and sued him. No, everything was paid back by Trump to these banks. But Letitia James, they injected the power of government 
to go after Donald Trump. They were going to find something. They were going to look through his operations. They were going to look through his loan documents. And they determined that he lied in valuing his property. And the judge clearly just overlooked the fact that there were professionals that testified that said that this is what the valuations were. Not what the judge determined. And the interesting thing is that even the banks that gave the loan to Donald Trump, they do their their due diligence. They look at the properties. You know, Trump makes a claim that this property is worth this amount. Well, they have their own appraisers. They have their own finance people that are doing their due diligence and saying, yep, it is. We'll give them a loan based on that. So let me put this in perspective. Now, say you have a home. It's assessed at $200,000. And bank comes in, calls you, and say, you know, we can give you a loan on your home. Because the market rate of your home is now $400,000. And we'll give you a loan, say, 50% of that $400,000 market value. Now, there's a difference between your assessment and the market value of your home. But the banks, after doing their due diligence, they've determined that your home is now worth $400,000 on the market. And they're willing to give you a loan. But according to this judge, you can't do that. If you sign off on that, you take money, that's illegal. And this is what this judge is doing to Donald Trump. They know nothing about real estate. The judge knows nothing about development. They know nothing about what the market value of a piece of property is. And I heard Don Jr. make a really, really good explanation of what the judge was doing. He took one of his golf courses and he said, all that property, the value of that property is nothing more than the money that comes in from greens fees, country club fees. But the judge doesn't realize that there's development value on those golf courses. And the value of those golf courses include developing homes on them. But not according to the judge. He's now the expert just for the sake of going after Trump. Absolutely bizarre. A civil civil court judge, an elected civil court judge from New York. But this is how Bolsheviks work. And with that said, I want to go to a paper written in 2017 by Dmitry Dabrowski. And the title of his paper is The Bolsheviks and the Law. The Legacy of Arbitrary Justice. So in it, he says, the Bolsheviks did not see the law as a means to adjudicate civil and business disputes or to dispense justice blindly. They viewed it as a mechanism to implement their social and political agenda. The late Harold Berman, one of the foremost scholars of Soviet legal history, noted that the Bolsheviks envisioned Soviet law somewhat of a code of conduct an instrument used in the early years after the 1917 October Revolution to cajole or compel citizens into adhering to new socialist norms as determined by the vanguard of the Communist Party. And this is what we have here. These judges 
Many lawyers are not about dispensing justice. It's all about dispensing their view on the world. And this is what, I don't even want to name the judge. It's irrelevant. What he did is relevant. But you've got Letitia James, you've got this civil court judge injecting themselves in the personal operations of Donald Trump because they wanted to get him. And then they make this up where there was no crime. But this is what we're up against. Now, Obama placed many judges, and I'm not saying this one in particular, but throughout our judicial system, we've got many like-minded judges here where it's not about the law, where it's about pursuing a code of conduct from the citizens. Now, Trump is going to appeal this, and I, I think he'll win the appeal because this is absolutely bizarre. The decision as well as the penalty is absolutely bizarre. So we shall see. Okay, there was a Republican presidential debate on Fox this week, and that's all I'm going to talk about. It's just a waste of time. These people up there are not going to become president. Most of them likely won't be part of Trump's cabinet. And I see no reason why they should be debating. And I saw one clip of it. It was hilarious. They were just screaming at each other, talking over each other. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I didn't want to waste my time with it. And I'm not going to talk about it here. But with that said, I just want to leave us with some good news. And we're pushing back for 2024. And in Pennsylvania, the governor mandated that people that apply for a driver's license will be automatically registered to vote. So the Republicans are fighting back and they're filing a lawsuit against the governor of Pennsylvania. And additionally, in Michigan, and this is from the Gateway Pundit, 11 Michigan state senators have filed a lawsuit today in federal court against a state election official. It says here, the lawsuit claims that the 2018 and 2022 state constitutional amendment regarding the times, places, and manner of federal elections are legally null and void. The U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, Elections Clause, requires the state legislature to regulate the times, places, and manner of federal elections. However, Michigan's constitutional amendments Proposal 3 of 2018 and Proposal 2 of 2022 bypassed the state legislature and in doing so usurped the legislature's federally mandated constitutional authority. These state constitutional amendments included the provisions that allow voters to sign affidavits instead of presenting valid identification when voting in person or applying for an absentee ballot, nine days of early voting, private funding of election administration, no excuse absentee voting procedures, same-day voter registration, state-funded absentee ballot drop boxes, and independent redistricting commissions. The lawsuit filed in the United States District Court for the Western District of Michigan names as defendants Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson and Jonathan Brader, Director of the Bureau of Elections. So that's good news. And the final piece of good news 
this week is that the Dallas mayor switched from the Democrat Party to the Republican Party. And I'm going to read here a little bit from the Texas Tribune. Headline says, Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson switches to Republican Party. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, a longtime Democrat, is now a Republican, turning Dallas into the largest city in the country with a Republican mayor. Quote, today I am changing my party affiliation, Johnson wrote in an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal. Next spring, I will be voting in the Republican primary. When my career in elected office ends in 2027, on the inauguration of my successor as mayor, I will leave office as a Republican. And did I say that's good news? Now, he sees what's happening to urban centers that are being run by Democrats. Just look what happened in Philadelphia these, this past week, the rioting, the looting. Look at Seattle. Look at Chicago. All, Democratic, all Democrat Party policies, all Democrat Party politicians have driven these cities into the ground. And Eric Johnson does not want that to happen to Dallas. So congratulations to him. Thank you so much for listening. You have a good weekend, and I will talk to you next Saturday.